0: Good morning, and it is a good Sunday. Yesterday morning when I was milking, then I thought two thoughts. First, I thought, is bivocational, is this a long-term strategy? Is this going to work? And then I thought, how do any ministers ever pastor if they don't have a barn to go to (laughs) and cows to milk and thoughts to clear their head and yesterday I was thinking, I was, I was caught up on the significance of this and what God's all done uh, in the quiet of the morning hours in the barn. And I, it's quite remarkable what God has done in just over a year. And it's something to be greatly, greatly thankful for. And I, for one, am overflowing with joy. When I get to stand here and see all of you, that is, it's a wonderful thing if I think of taking a step in faith, not knowing what the future would bring just a year ago or a little over. So this morning, as we think about church membership and what it means to belong to a church, to mark this Sunday off, we are pausing from our Matthew series, and we're going to look this morning at Romans 1. So you can turn there, and we're going to look at the first 13 verses. So Romans 1, 1 through 13, and once you've got it, then as always, I will ask you to stand as we read God's word. And these are the inspired words of God. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience. I am reading the wrong passage, Romans 12, (laughs) wow, my apologies, I should have stayed in the barn a bit longer or a bit shorter, why don't we turn to Romans 12 and look at the first 13 verses there, I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. And you can be seated. I trust God will bless the reading of his word. So, as many of you know, this morning marks a milestone in that we are accepting our very first group of charter members at Trinity Fellowship. And I think we have been functioning quite well as a church, but we have had no members here. Nobody is a member. Even the elders are not members here yet. And this is changing today, and it is a positive and a healthy step. And perhaps it might raise the question, as it should, what is church membership? Also, what isn't it? One person, not from here, so you don't have to do the math, who would ask that? But one person we were talking to not long ago uh, asked, well, how membership worked? Is there a financial consideration? Like, do you buy your dues? Kind of like when you join St. Anne Co-op, and uh, no, it's it's not like that. So it's not that. Um, It's not like joining a golf club or a country club. It's not becoming a shareholder of something we live in a time when some people see very little benefit of being a member in a local church other than perhaps it gives you some voting privileges. Others question the biblical validity of becoming a member of a local church because there aren't specific detailed instructions on how this procedure ought to work in Scripture. We've taken this step of opening up membership because we think it's important and because we think it's healthy. But we have been intentional in not trying to push it or sell it too hard. Because we do understand that the last number of years, and it's probably concentrated in the last few, but really in the last number of years, there has been a realigning of sorts of people in churches. And some of the older denominational lines have seemed to become less and less relevant as Christians are sorting themselves out uh, more along different lines than just sheer denominations. And this means that some people have found themselves in unsettled situations and are trying to figure things out. And this is entirely understandable. And this is why we have not been too zealous or too pushy in in encouraging membership. We want to give people room to breathe and to figure out uh, through important things. So if you aren't becoming a member here this morning, but you have been attending regularly, nothing is really going to change for you. We're going to continue to love you. We're going to continue to minister to you, incorporate you into our church life, no differently than what's been the case in the last year and change till now. But of course, we would also to encourage you to think about membership and to think about what the Bible says about being tied to a local body of Christians. So what is changing is that those who are taking membership this morning are formalizing their commitment to the church and vice versa. And we're making a clear statement that we want to be joined to this particular expression of Christ's church. And so all that said... Despite the not being pushy, the the uptake has been very encouraging. Without pushing, we have had a great deal of positive feedback. But I want to look a little bit this morning at what the Bible says about church membership and what things we need to think about if we're going to be healthy, productive church members. And you may have noticed that, again, like I mentioned earlier, there's, there's no clear chapter on instructions for how this exactly ought to look. But I would say that Scripture presupposes membership in the church. You can turn to Hebrews 13 as a good place to start. If you leaf over to Hebrews 13, in verse 7, you're going to see this. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way and imitate their faith. And then if you go down a little further in verse 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. For the church to remember her leaders and for the leaders to keep watch over the life and the souls in the church, implies we have to have two lists of names. We have to know who the leaders are, and we have to know who the church is. So this is merely presupposed in the Bible's instructions on church. Just as importantly, the relational element that happens in Hebrews 13, watching and imitating leaders, as well as the mutual accountability that needs to happen in a church, means that this is happening locally. These people know each other well enough that they're in each other's lives. This can't be mediated through uh, technology technology. And as much as I benefit and am blessed as I do chores in the morning or f- mix feed in the afternoon in the tractor, my earbuds are almost always in. And I'm almost always listening to who I consider to be the best preachers around the world and listening to lectures and so forth. And it's a tremendous blessing. And I know many of you listen to sermons and resources as well. But at the end of the day, Vodie Balcom and Ellister Begg are not praying for your family. And their fanboys aren't here setting up chairs first thing in the morning, okay? We're not all rock stars. This needs to happen in the context of a local church of people who love and know you. You're probably not going to get Steve Lawson to go for coffee with you this week. But maybe Don will. Okay? This has to happen in an intimate, close setting. And even in an age of celebrity, The ancient wisdom of grounding the Christian life in the local church does stand as supreme. So while scripture does not lay out a specific process for how to handle church membership, membership in a local church is simply assumed in many of scripture's instructions. If we don't have church membership, many of the commands in scripture are just simply impossible to obey without it. It's presupposed. And so moving into this morning's passage in Romans 12... We see, it starts there with, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is a very familiar passage, and it has much to say on many levels, most of which we're not going to examine this morning because we're looking at one particular thing. But one thing that we can see is that worship is embodied. That means there's people. This doesn't happen through uh, an internet connection as thankful as we are for it this morning. I trust that our brother Tim is watching us, and so we can be thankful for technology. But really, all things being equal, it needs to happen here, in person, close up, touching on each other's lives. And notice, in this passage here, how Paul goes from our bodies being a living sacrifice to spiritual worship. We talked a bit about this this morning in Sunday school. So these two things, the physical world and the spiritual world, may be distinguished, but they can never be divorced from one another. Real worship involves your physical body. And verse 2 goes on to show that it also involves your mind. Our renewed mind, it says, discerns the will of God by testing. And of course, the ultimate and primary place of testing is always by Scripture. But how do we apply Scripture? Often the, the, the principles in scripture are laid out clearly, but how does that apply to this complex set of uh, circumstances that I'm dealing with? And one way that we discern that and test that is through other believers, through your church, through your leaders, through Christian friends that you might uh, come here, your youth leader. Yeah, talk to people. That happens, that discerning process, that seeking wisdom happens in the context, at least in part, in an important part, in the local church community. Paul goes on in verse 3 through 8, it says, For by the grace given to me I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And so here we move into very practical instructions for church life. And you may notice that in many churches, and we are no exception, we're not one homogenous group of people. And in fact, this group stands kind of unique in... Uh, in in one way we look fairly homogenous because we're all Canadians in one sense but in another sense the backgrounds represented here are quite diverse and I think that's a good thing I think that's a picture of God's mission for uh, his world and for the church generally but it does mean that maybe if you think and you're planning your trip to Florida you're not thinking I'm going to invite everyone in this room to go with me we're not that kind of a group and that's okay it's okay Uh, That we have varied interests and that people connect on a different level. This is perfectly fine. But God is the one who puts the church together and fits the pieces and sews them together as He sees fit. And so it's by His own doing that we're not all the same in this group. It's by His doing that we're from different backgrounds. And everybody needs to know we're marching to Zion, by the way. I thought that was such an old hymn. I thought that when everybody knew. But it's okay that we we've sung different songs, we've grown up differently, and that's okay. That's God's handiwork that puts people from different backgrounds together. This is good, this is healthy for us. God has given and distributed gifts to his church according to his own good pleasure. And each of us in this room have various gifts that have been given to us by a sheer grace of God. And and We shouldn't miss the fact that when the Bible talks about gifts, just think about that. It's a gift. It's a gift. Okay? At one place in Scripture, we're encouraged in one of Paul's letters that, what do you have that you did not receive? That means if you are gifted in a particular area, that is something to be thankful for, not something to be proud of. It's a gift. Okay? Okay? Some people, God put fire in their bones to preach the word of God. The next person, he put fire in their bones to sing that bass line just right and bless the church with that. Okay? For some, it's writing a Sunday school curriculum. For others, it's behind the scenes, counseling and friendship and going for coffee. These are all wonderful gifts that God has distributed and we should not take pride in our gifts but see it as a gift from God to serve those around us. You didn't get to choose which gifts you were born with. We just showed up, and there they are. But it's up to us to develop and strengthen them. And it's also important that we don't elevate the importance of our own gifts or interests above that of others. And in an unhealthy environment, what happens is people think that their gift, their area of interest is the most important thing, and the whole church needs to revolve itself around my set of gifts. But the problem with that is this guy also thinks the whole church needs to resolve around his interests. That's not healthy. A healthy way to view this is that there's a variety of gifts all for mutual edification. They all should work together. and We should see this in a, a parts to whole kind of a fashion. <clears throat> the language of the parts of the body is used elsewhere in scripture to show that each part is different but also that each one is needed. And if these parts are not bound together in one living body they really are going to serve no good whatsoever. If I cut off my hand and mounted it on the wall in my office, it would still look like a hand, but only for a very short while, and it would be serving absolutely no purpose whatsoever. Eventually, it won't look like a hand at all. Perhaps some of you have heard of the old story that's often told of a minister who went to go visit the home of a parishioner who had absented himself from the church for a period of time. And when he went to this church member's house, he reached, and it was winter time, and he reaches into the fire with a set of tongs, and he just took a coal out of the fire, and he rested it on the mantle, sat down and talked with this gentleman for the course of the evening. And when he left, he made a point of looking at that coal on the mantle that had since gone out, while the other ones in the stove are all warm. (laughs) They're still producing heat. And he looked at it in an intentional way, knowing that surely this point will not be missed. And he walks out. Don't miss the point. We turn cold when we're not in fellowship with each other. We have to be in fellowship. There is no substitute for the church. In verse 6, Paul goes through a number of examples of gifts that are to be used in the church. And we should notice that a gift list like this, and there's other listings of gifts in the New Testament. No one of them is an exhaustive list that captures everything. They're kind of examples or samples of the different gifts that God has distributed in his church. And he lists a few. And again, we won't do a deep dive because we're looking at one thing here this morning, and that's healthy church stuff. So This isn't going to be a long exegetical uh, sermon here, but let's look at some of the sampling here. Talks about prophecy, and of course, we're not living in the age of Paul, in the apostolic age, where there's new inspired revelation being written down and inscripturated. But we do continue to have an analog of the gift of prophecy and the prophetic gift in the sense that some here are gifted to follow an argument. Some people are gifted to see where ideas are going and to take a stand and say something about it, to stand up in a prophetic sense. Some serve. And these are some of the most valuable people in the church. These people often go unnoticed. But the reality is for everyone up front, we probably need 20 or 30 servant-hearted people that are willing to be like the gears in your transmission. They're always working, but you don't see it. You don't get to see it, but you're not going anywhere without these people. We need the -the behind-the-scenes servers. They humbly put in their time and are like the gears in your transmission. They keep things moving despite not being up front. Some teach, and this gift is to be used to instruct and build up the saints and to encourage them to greater maturity and godliness. Some exhort, and I think this is also an underappreciated gift in our day. We tend to live in an age where everything's awesome, right? Everything's wonderful. Everyone's the best. Everyone's beautiful. Everyone's, well, well, you know how it is. But you know what? Not everything is awesome. Not everybody is being awesome all the time. Sometimes we sin, Sometimes we don't keep short accounts. Sometimes we don't help pull the other out of the ditch when they get lost. Not everything is permissible. Not everything does get a passing grade. And so we do need people in the church who love each other enough to confront us when we're sinning, to exhort us. Be honest. If you're watching a friend or someone in church going down a destructive road, be enough of a friend to pull them back. And this is also an area where church membership is quite practical. There is a sense, of course, in which all Christians should be doing this for all other Christians, even if they're in different churches. But in another sense, when the sin gets to a particularly difficult point, we need to follow the process that that Jesus himself lays out in Matthew 18. And that includes how we get other people involved. And if people have never put themselves into the accountability of a local church body, then they may feel free to run away to the next church to escape any kind of confrontation or correction. I know some have said, and I am not an anti-technology guy whatsoever, but I know some people have said one of the biggest challenges in terms of healthy church life has been the invention of the automobile. People can escape accountability. In the old parish system, you couldn't go anywhere else. (laughs) These people knew you, right? You were in a certain radius, maybe five miles or whatever it was, and people knew you. You could not escape those things. So I don't think automobiles are a net negative, but they certainly provide a new challenge for us to think through. If we want biblically sound churches, the consumer mindset that I'm just going to go wherever I want to go, I want to be anonymous in my sin, I can go join the next church that doesn't know what's happened, that's not healthy. That's not good for us. That's avoiding exhortation rather than inviting it. And So a clear commitment to one another says that we want to be in a Christian community that's going to help us. And I'll say something practical that happened in this church going through our interviews where it was a wonderful experience hearing people's backgrounds hearing people's stories why do you want to be a member here How, what you know what's the Lord doing in your life it was truly great but one of the interviews that stuck with me the most and I'm not going to name names here was someone who's a little bit on the older side of me who said they just need a church body that's going to help them finish well I need someone to finish well I've seen too many of my friends get soft and compromised as they go into older age because the fight seems like it's too tiring. I want to be in a body of Christians who are committed to the Word of God and who love me well enough to say, I'm going to finish well with these group of people. That's church membership. That's a healthy view. That's what we're here to do. Help each other finish well. And if you're young, to help you start well. Help you get on the right path so you don't get distracted. Some also have the gift of generosity. And a healthy doctrine of vocation means that being a pastor or a song leader is absolutely no more spiritual than being a lawyer or a framer. All work is kingdom work if we do it in the service of King Jesus. And while it's true that the church is kind of like the town center in the kingdom of God, kingdom is not limited to the church. It goes out beyond the wall of the church. The kingdom of God is wherever God's rule and reign are being made visible, being made practical and physical. And many Christians are living out their Christianity in the workplace and they're earning money and that money itself can do good things for the work of the kingdom. So whatever vocational situation you're in, it is kingdom work. It is Christian work. And like Martin Luther said, it's not because the Christian shoemaker isn't a Christian shoemaker because he's going to put a little cross on the shoes. You know what makes him a Christian shoemaker? It's because he makes better shoes than everybody else in Germany. That's what makes you a Christian shoemaker. Okay? A, a Christian electrician isn't the electrician who leaves a business card with a fish on it at the end. The Christian electrician is the guy who's going to do the best job he can of wiring your house and being honest in his dealings with you. That's part of the dominion mandate to make Christ be known everywhere. So, whatever your vocational situation is, well, not me, I'm a stay at home mom. Yeah, you're just running an 18 year Bible college, I know nothing important. You know, eternal souls entrusted to your care. Of course, that's kingdom work. Being a stay at home mom is important kingdom work. No one's exempt from that. Those who lead are to do so with zeal. And again, churches are not social clubs that should ever go on cruise control or start to exist just for the sake of existing and maintaining the organization or maintaining the machinery and keeping it alive. One way to think of this is that we are outfitters of the Great Commission. We're kind of the last stop before you go out into the wilds and we're there to equip people as they go out further. Those who are entrusted to leading the church need to have a clear vision for what they are trying to accomplish. And by God's grace, I hope we can do that as leaders. Leaders need to lead with zeal and with passion and not simply in maintenance or self-survival mode. And lastly, Paul mentions that those who do acts of mercy are to do so cheerfully. And this can often be tedious work because it tends to be the same people putting in the same work for the same people. And you don't have to be long in church ministry where you realize it's who your core is that's doing the work. And who the core is, uh, that's not. But let's try to see if we can bend that 80-20 rule at Trinity Fellowship. Let's all plug in. Let's all pick up our station where we are. Let's not get frustrated. Let's do our work with cheerfulness wherever your spot is. Each opportunity that you get is a reminder that God has been far more merciful to us than we are called to be with others. So serve gladly. Serve with cheerfulness. Don't get tired in doing good. And it goes on in verse 9 through 13. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. And these are general instructions for all Christians, regardless of the gifts that we have been given. And our love for one another does need to be genuine. It says that we need to outdo each other in showing love and honor. And a decision to become a member of a church is a covenantal decision. It means that we are truly bound together in a solemn way. Our society has made the tremendously destructive error of seeing everybody as individuals. And yes, in one sense we are individuals, but we are not isolated in the way our society has framed it. Biblical, covenantal thinking helps us to see that we are connected to one another. And our whole way of contemporary living is based on the atomization of society. That means pull people away from any kind of identifiable, uh, stable influence in their life. Help them to see themselves as primarily an individual. And this has wreaked many negative consequences. If every person is unique and solitary, society starts to be seen as a bunch of people like a bunch of little babies rolling around in a box. And even if you're close in proximity to one another, you remain disconnected. You remain a solitary individual. And the Bible really has very little time or place for that kind of thinking. Biblical thinking is covenantal thinking. It sees life differently. Instead of individual atoms just bouncing around freely, The biblical vision is that we start to form molecules which give strength. There's molecular strength as we find each other and bond to one another. And ultimately, the Bible's uh, program is for that to happen. That happens in marriage. It happens in families. It happens in churches. It happens in communities. These are all covenant communities where those atoms find each other and they start to bond and develop molecular strength. Those attachments need to become deep and strong if we're going to become healthy. And this is where covenantal thinking is so vastly superior to contractual thinking, where we see ourselves as consumers and revert back and indulge in our individualism. Rather than seeing ourselves as a bunch of loose BBs rolling around in a box, think of yourself as a leaf on a tree. Yes, you are individual. Yes, you are your own person. But in no way are you divorced from everything else on that tree. There's real, organic ties that bind us. And this is how we are to think of our families, of our communities, and of our church. Thinking this way creates an atmosphere where brotherly love is possible because we don't see ourselves merely as consumers who are in it until we're bored or until something more exciting or fascinating comes along. We're knit together like a family, like brothers who are outdoing one another to give each other honor. And I think if we think that way, when we go back to verse 5, it says, so we though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. And this is an important view of what this covenantal union thinking gets to. I want you to consider this seriously. If you're becoming a member this morning, everything you do when you leave here reflects on everybody else in this room. Think about that. If you are indulging in sin, guess what? Howard's name is on that. And my name is on it. And Marv's name is on it. That's what it means to be identified in covenant community. You are not an isolated individual. You are reflecting your name. You're reflecting your family. You are reflecting your church body. That's covenantal thinking. What you do affects the health of this body. And the identity of this body. If you're careless about your sin, you are bringing shame on everybody in this room. If we're careless about reading our Bibles or committing ourselves to sound doctrine, you are helping to create an environment of laziness in this church. Everyone in this room is teaching everybody else. Everyone's a student and everyone's a teacher, and we're learning from each other, okay? For good or for bad we want to create an environment of health and of love canon press recently came out with a book which is great it's uh, geared towards young men be the kind of husband that or be the kind of person that the kind of person you want to marry wants to marry okay i'll say that again be the kind of person the kind of person you want to marry wants to marry okay if you want a sweet feminine godly wife don't be a self-indulgent jerk Because the girl you want to marry doesn't want to marry you. And I would apply that to a church as well. Be the kind of church member that is wanted by the kind of church you're attracted to. If you want this to be a church where there is a sound commitment to solid, rock-ribbed biblical doctrine and to loving each other well, be the kind of member that is creating that environment and that makes that kind of a culture automatic and easy. Don't be a coattail rider. Don't trust that everyone else is going to do it for you. You, have, you are part of the culture that we are creating here. Okay? So be the kind of church member that wants to be in the kind of church that you are attracted to. This is a mutual feedback loop. And we talked again this morning. For some of us, this more doctrinal approach or finding ourselves in the long history of, of the church and kind of not doing theology just a la carte Finding something in confessional Christianity and going back to the old ways is very satisfying. But for some, it makes us impatient and it makes us proud and we start dunking on other Christians. Okay? But the point of all the teaching, the point of all the doctrine, the point of all of this is not to score points in a debate with other Christians. Yes, gladly discuss things. But the point of this, guys, is to kill sin in your life. That's the point. Dunk on your sin, not on other Christians who haven't learned what you've been learning. Dunk on your sin. Use that knowledge to kill sin in your life, not to humiliate other Christians. You are doing good for yourself, for your friends, for this church, and most importantly, for Christ's fame, for his name in the world if you're encouraging your friends in this church to put sin to death instead of making light of it. We're doing the same thing when we bring a meal to a new mom or listen closely, not knowing what to say and just sitting there quietly with someone who's lost a loved one or to encourage those who are having trouble in their family. And The rest of these instructions make much more sense when they are grounded in a covenantal view of humanity and of the world that scripture sets forth. We are to be fervent in spirit as we serve the Lord. After all, we belong to him. We are to rejoice in hope and to be patient in tribulation and constant in prayer. And we can do all these things so much more effectively when we are surrounded by a community of like-minded saints who are spurring us on. And lastly, we're to contribute to the needs of the saints to show hospitality. And notice how it is the saints who are in view here. Our first responsibility is always to those who are closest to us. I've said this before, but I love Tanya, my wife, in a way that I don't love women generally. I love and care for my own kids in a way that I don't care for kids generally. I can't. There's not enough energy. Okay? We always have a responsibility first to those who are closest to us. And if I loved all women or all children generally the same, that would not be a virtue. That would be a vice. That would be a shortcoming in me. Look first to the household of God. Yes, there's plenty of opportunities to go beyond that. But the Bible's priority is first on the saints, on the household of God that we serve first. That doesn't mean we can't go beyond that, but it means that's our priority. We all probably know some people who are so busy loving the world that they have no time to love those who are right next to them. And that should never be that way. We can and should be aware of the needs of others. And we take care of the household of God first and move out from there. And last week in Matthew, we saw that when Jesus sends out the 12 on a mission, it involves a hospitality test. The way people would show hospitality to the apostles was an indicator of their reception of the gospel, of the news and the message of Jesus Christ. And I want to suggest in our own way, we have our own hospitality tests at all times in the church. And these are the people who are committing ourselves and our gifts as Christ builds this family and knits this church family together. And why don't we consider that? I'm going to leave a bit of time for silent prayers. We consider our place in this church and then we're going to go through uh, the formal membership process. So let's take this to the Lord in prayer and commit your place in this church to him, whatever that may look like, and consider how we can love and stir each other up. Lord, I thank you for the love and kindness that you have shown us from not knowing what was going to happen a a year ago uh, to being ready to take this step. Lord, and I pray that you'd be with each of us here. There are so many different backgrounds, so many different gifts, so many different experiences, uh, so many ways that we can serve each other. And Lord, I pray that we would consider this. I pray that we would see ourselves as a covenant community and how our actions reflect those on those around us. Lord, I pray that you would use each of us uh, to not only be happy about, but to also do our part to contribute to a culture that is dedicated to your word and that loves these people well. Lord, help us to be that kind of a body. Help us to be, by your grace, that kind of a church. I pray now that as we take the step that we would do it with joy and also with sobriety and clear-headedness that we would know what we are doing uh, and then receive your grace to do it with joy. Lord, and I also pray that you'd be with us as we enjoy a meal together afterward. I pray that that would be a time of of fun and of laughter and of connection as well. Thank you for your spirit's work in this body, and I trust that you would continue to work. Amen. So, because we are starting with a significant group, I'll give a bit of instructions here before we do this. So if you were baptized last summer or if you have gone through the membership uh, process now of transfer, I'm going to ask you in a minute to stand up. If you are currently enrolled in baptism classes, we will process that later, so you can stay seated for now. But for those uh, who have gone through the membership steps, done your paperwork and had the interviews, and and we've gone through all those steps, or you were baptized last summer, we are now formalizing your membership this morning. And we're going to do this as a group. So for all of you to whom this applies, then I'll ask you to stand. And I'm going to read a series of questions, and I want you to think about these answers, not just go through the motions of saying it, but to actually commit yourself. We're making covenant promises to each other and before God this morning. And so when I ask each question, then I'll ask you to answer with God's help, we do. Do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving his wrath and displeasure, and that you are without hope apart from his sovereign mercy? If so, answer, with God's help we do. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the only Savior of sinners, and do you receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered to you in the gospel? Do you resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live a life worthy of a follower of Jesus Christ? Do you promise to faithfully support this church in its worship and work through your prayers, finances, gifts, and encouragement? And lastly, do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of this church And do you promise to seek its purity and peace? Then look around each other. We've all made these promises in front of God and to each other. And even this applies to those who are sitting as well. But let's commit to this. This is a good day. And we commit our lunchtime into God's hands as well.
1: The rest of you can stand now, too. This song takes me back to a little white church in Niverville. The sun is shining in the windows and the walls were bouncing as we sang, Revive Us Again.
0: Receive the charge. The church serves as the outfitter of God's kingdom work on earth. Every Lord's Day, we gather as God calls us in from out of the world, reminds us of our own death and resurrection through the ministry of law and gospel, of confession and pardon. He teaches us through the preaching of his word, feeds us with bread and wine, and makes us grow stronger for the journey ahead, and commissions us and charges us with our instructions as we scatter again. We don't do this as a mere group of individual people, connected only by our common mission of self-expression. Rather, we do this in covenant community with one another. This community bonding happens at both the personal, at the universal, and a local level. When we come into the church, we become bound to all Christians from all ages and all places. But because we live in this age and in this place, This means that we are also to covenant ourselves to a local expression of Christ's worldwide church. We need a concrete and defined body of believers to be fed by and to feed with the gifts God has given us. We are taking an important step in our growth and maturity this morning as Trinity Fellowship welcomes in our first members. By God's grace, we will add more through the years and the decades, but we will never again plant our flag with a founding group. The Lord has been kind to us. And we trust he will continue to be kind as he uses and equips us to bless one another. All for his eternal glory and for the advance of his kingdom. And I'll leave you with the benediction from 1 Thessalonians three twelve and 13. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. And I will encourage you to stay in peace. And you know what? This feels like we should burst out in applause for what's happened this morning. (laughs) So stay and eat in peace. I'm not sure if there's further directions. Yeah. Uh, We want to do a
1: group picture of all the new members. We're going to
0: line up against the black curtain
1: here as soon as those guys move their guitars. So don't run away. And those that aren't in the picture, uh, we're going to turn the chairs and set up the rest of the tables, and we're all going to have lunch together. And once the ladies have the food ready, we'll sing doxology and...